Can you remember the first time you felt like a proper grown-up? I'm aware we've got some young people in the room. We've got various people. We've got people in their 30s and 40s who maybe think they haven't got there yet. Um, that's okay. I've felt like that, like that at various different points. But there, there are occasions in life where you are kind of... There's one of two things that happen. There's either you feel like a proper grown-up even though you're really not. Right? The first time you get a bank account, that you, know, you kind of feel, I felt like a proper grown-up because I had a card. I had no money in my bank account, but I had a car. I could theoretically, now I have no money in my bank account either because I have kids. But you, you could theoretically spend money like a proper grown-up. The first time you have your own car, your own being a little bit of a misnomer because chances are parents have either given you the car, paid for the car, paid for the insurance and have filled it with petrol for you because you have no money. Um, but the first time you, you're on your own in that car and you feel like a proper grown-up, that's, that's a nice, even though you're not really a, proper grown-up. And then you have events in your life where you kind of find yourself in a position where you realize, oh rubbish, I'm going to have to be a proper grown-up now. First time I got into debt and had to bail myself out was one of those moments where actually I'm going to have to take responsibility for this and sort it out. When we had our first child, um, having a first, I'm just going to talk from my own experience here. Um, having a first child is an interesting one because you go in with all sorts of these preconceived ideas of, of what it will be like. And you actually get to the, kind of, I say the end, you get to the start where you, you have something to show for it. You have an actual child in your hands. And you have this moment of realization of, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life or what to do with this child. We brought Gideon home from hospital. This is uh, 10 years ago, 10, 2012, 2012, 4th of September, 2012. Right? I remembered his birthday. He's not even in here. He doesn't, I don't need to put that pressure on myself. Why am I still talking? We brought him back from the hospital, and he was in one of these Moses basket things, and we, we, we put him in the middle of the sitting room and took a few steps back and both sat down on the sofa and I think had this collective thought of, what have we done? And what are we going to do now? There are moments in life where you feel like you have to be a proper grown-up. And there are moments in life when you might feel equipped and ready to do that, even though you may potentially not be. And then there are moments in life where you feel, actually, I really don't know what I'm doing here, and I need a little bit of help and support. We're going to look at a story in the Bible of somebody who found themselves in that situation. Okay, um, This is a guy called Jacob, who some of you will have um, known at various different points. And this, this is a point in his life where he is striking out on his own. Jacob is um, somebody who I would say has probably grown up with quite a lot of pressure. He's, his father is somebody called Isaac, his, whose grandfather is Abraham, who has been chosen by God to be the father of the nation of Israel, to be the, the, the father of the nation that God is going to use as his people. And he will have grown up with this promise being spoken over his family. He has quite a turbulent time throughout his childhood. He's arguably involved and embroiled in family politics. We're not sure whether he's a willing participant or whether he's manipulated into different things. We know that he's certainly broken down a lot of relationships within the family and with his brother. And he reaches this point in Genesis 28, which is a turning point in his life, where he's leaving home. It's, it's, I mean, I read it through. It's, it's a little bit ambiguous whether he was kicked out or whether he chose to leave voluntarily. But he is leaving home for the first time in Genesis 28, stepping out on his own, having lived and grown up in the promises of God, 
but being forced to suddenly take responsibility for his own way in the world. And so Genesis 28, we get this. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Beersheba means the well of the promise or the well of the oath. It's something that was hard fought by Abraham to, to dig this well. And it was a place of the promise was what was behind that meaning. And set out for Haran. Haran means road or quite literally crossroads. He was at a literal crossroads in his life. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And so taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Anyone had that dream? No, me neither. It's fine. Um, There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. You know, Jacob steps out on his own. And that first night where he's forced to stop, literally because it got dark, and he's absolutely exhausted. He's so exhausted that he just grabs a stone and uses that as a pillow. Have you ever been that exhausted? You just think, you know, I'm just going to sleep on the floor. I've done that next to my children's beds at various different points when they can't sleep during the night. If you're a parent, you can potentially uh, resonate with that. Um, But he gets to this point where he is absolutely shattered and heavy laden, and he lays down on his own, first time having to take responsibility for his life. And God speaks to him. You know, there's an invitation this morning. If you are tired, if you are heavy laden, if you are burdened, God wants to speak to you this morning. Jesus said, come to me, you who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That promise is as true today as it was when Jesus first spoke those words. You know, if you are tired this morning, God wants to speak to you. He wants to give you rest. And when God does speak to him, this is what he says. Verse 13, he says, I am the Lord, your God, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. He sets the context. He says, I am the God that you grew up in the promise of. I am the God of your father, of your grandfather, you know, that God. Not anybody else. I am that God. But then he takes that promise and makes it personal. Because in verse 15, this is what he says. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. He takes that promise that he grew up in, and he makes it personal. I really resonate with this because this is my story. I grew up in church. I grew up with my parents leading church. And I grew up knowing that they had this faith, that they believed in God, that they believed that God had a plan for their lives, that that he had a plan for my life. But at some point, I had to make that personal. I had to take responsibility for that faith. I couldn't rely on the faith of my parents anymore. Because I was stepping out, I was going out, I was choosing how I'm going to live my life, the decisions I'm going to make, the choices I'm going to make, how am I going to live? I had to choose 
whether to make it personal. And God made it personal for me. He spoke to me in ways that I would understand, using language that I would not through my parents most of the time. This was through different preachers and people that I'd engage with, different music that I'd listen to. I would find Jesus speaking to me through things that I didn't expect. But he made it personal and made it personal for me. I love the fact that we have in this church young people who have grown up in this church through their parents' faith, but who are now taking responsibility for their own faith, standing on this stage because God has made it personal for them. That's what you want as a parent. You know, when your kids grow up in church, you want them to discover a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that is the only way it's going to stick. It's the only way that they are going to find wholeness in their lives is through Jesus. But I can know that as a parent. They have to know that as a child. And they have to, and I'm so encouraged by the, the um, parents that I see whose children are growing up in the faith and then taking responsibility. Does it mean it's a perfect journey? No. Does it mean they're never going to struggle? No. Does it mean that they are always going to find it as easy as you could possibly imagine? No, absolutely not. Life is not that simple. We know that. But it is so encouraging when God takes something and makes it personal. You know, if you've been coming to church for a while and you can see lots of people around you have this deep-seated faith, but you're not really sure that you're there yet, God wants to make it personal for you this morning. He wants to make it your faith this morning. And this morning is as good a time as any. You know, Paul and Sarah are going on sabbatical today. Um, And... We've had loads and loads of conversations about sabbatical over the last kind of six months. And as leaders, we have talked about it and we've, we've resonated with it. But I think one of the key things that I, I just really want to say, just to acknowledge this, but also to, to say, you know, in front of everybody is, and you've seen it on the screen here, right? We are, as a church and as a trustee and as leaders, as leaders of the church, we are sending Paul, Sarah, Grace and Liv on sabbatical. Not because we expect that God's going to speak some massive revelatory word to them, though I believe that he will speak to them. Not because we expect to get some sort of return on investment, though I believe that God will bless the church through it. We are sending them because we love them, because we want the best for them, because we value them, because we recognize how precious they are in God's sight, how precious they are to us. And we want them to be refreshed and renewed and blessed. And the words that God would speak to them this morning are the same as the words that he would speak to all of us this morning, which is, I am with you. I am with you. Do you know that God is with you this morning? No matter what circumstances you're going through, God is with you. He goes before you. He comes behind you. He is all around you. He is with you in every conversation you have, however difficult that conversation may be, however situation, however challenging those situations, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, right? God is with you. He will watch over you wherever you go. I, will, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. You know, God is your security, You can rely on him to be that constant in your life. Even when it has felt like God hasn't been there, he has. Even when it feels like you're on your own, you're not. God will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He is with you in every step of the way. It doesn't mean that you won't have pain. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley or through the valley of the shadow of death is one translation, there your rod and staff will comfort me. 
even though you will go through that valley. That is life. But Jesus will be with you in every circumstance. Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Fact. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. I will be with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. Back to the land of promise. Not physical land. Back to the land of his promise. The land that God has given to you and your descendants. The blessing that God has given to you and your descendants. You may go your own way for a little while, but you'll come back. Prodigal son, lost sheep. You can go your own way for a while, but he will bring you back to the land that he has promised you. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You know, God is faithful to his word. When he makes a promise, he will fulfill it and he will bring things through it. If you're nervous or kind of anticipating challenges over the coming few weeks, you know, God is with you and he is faithful. He is faithful to his word. He will not leave you, but will do what he has promised you. And through that process, we discover something that Jacob did, which is that he woke up and he found and recognized, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. And that's my prayer for you this morning, for all of you, for all of us this summer that we would find that the Lord is in this place, even if we weren't aware of it. You know, some of you are going on holiday over the summer. When you made that booking, you didn't realize that the Lord is in that place. But he is. There are things that are coming up this week that you know are going to happen at work tomorrow. The Lord is in that place. Are you aware of it? In the hospital ward, the Lord is in that place. Are you aware of it? At three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep, that the Lord is in that place, though you are unaware of it. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. God, I want to thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. God, that you are faithful to your word. Father, I pray that for everyone in this room, Father, whatever we're doing over the next few weeks and months, Jesus, that you would show us, you would open our eyes. God, that we would recognize that you are in that place, whether we're aware of it or not. But Jesus, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence. Father, I thank you for Paul and Sarah. Father, I thank you for this coming period of time, for them and for us, that Jesus, you are with us as you are with them. And I pray your blessing on every person here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace.